From McKinsey's business building practice, Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders in Asia about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. Welcome to another episode of The Venture. For our eighth episode, I'm excited to welcome Jesper Joss Olson, founding partner and group CEO of White Peak Real Estate and Stay. White Peak is the largest European residential developer in China with its core focus on green developments and ESG. White Peak currently has over 15,000 apartments under construction across 10 cities in northern and eastern China. Stay was launched by White Peak as a new solution to urban living, offering modern urban professionals a smarter, more connected, and exciting way of living. Combining traditional hospitality with the smartest digital solutions, it has created an innovative balance of home, co-living space, and hotel. Stay is actively expanding across all the gateway cities in Asia. There's a lot to cover. Welcome, Jasper. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. How did you decide to enter China? I think, first of all, you know, the reason why we came in is that we were convinced that China, you know, had many decades of continued urbanization and the growth of the middle income class and, and getting exposure through residential real estate was one interesting strategy. And initially, our one was that we decided to focus on a limited geography. I mean, China is incredibly large. There's really no similarity in buying behavior or, or the apartment designs in the north and south. So we focused on northeast, where we grew Today, we're operating in three provinces with 250 million people. Second thing was we decided that we weren't going to do partnerships. First of all, because you know you don't learn anything if you, if you work with a partner who does the difficult things. And secondly, there's always a partnership risk. So basically, all these 20 plus projects that we've done have all been 100% operated, invested, and, and controlled by us. So we obviously made all the mistakes that you make when you start a business, but it has made us stronger and today into what we are. And just, just curious about what you um, mentioned about partnerships, especially for other industries. The, the narrative is when you enter China, you need to have a partner, right? And you, you, it seems like you made a, a decision, maybe a counterintuitive decision to focus. And maybe you can expand a little bit more on that specific decision. Real estate, as everybody knows, is very local. So typically, I think most foreign investors work with local developers, the different types of joint ventures. We felt that the difficult things around why you would JV, there are things if you could learn yourself. It would you would probably be able to scale and build a, a proper business. So again, we decided earlier not to do that. And if we went to a city where we couldn't do it ourselves, so we didn't feel comfortable running a building a team. You know, we went to the next city because obviously China is such a large market that you know there's a city for everything. So and I think just you know when we did our first projects, we obviously made lots of mistakes uh, and learned from those. We obviously have a very different style of operating and. You know, the way we want our organization to work and the level of transparency. We want to spend money on the environmental aspects of of the buildings we do. So, you know, finding partners that believe in that vision and and that actually want to invest into that vision back then was very, very difficult. But ultimately, we're able to build a team of almost 500 people that actually believe in our value set, which we think is, you know, is very natural for Nordics and and, uh, becoming more and more relevant in in China. Maybe you can share a little bit. How did you make that shift from, you know, landing, understanding such a complex market and then becoming more data oriented versus just relying on your original intuition? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think the answer is actually not to trust your intuition (laughs) (laughs) because your your Swedish or Western intuition isn't necessarily the right one here. So a couple of uh, examples of maybe when we did our first investment now 15 years ago in a city, actually called Linyi, which is a 
13 million populated city. Mercedes sold lots of cars and BMW sold lots of cars. We spoke to you know private banks who had thousands of accounts with multi-million deposits on them. So we basically built a very highly specced residential project um, based on that intuition or logic. And yeah, they do want to have that, but they obviously don't want to pay for it. So our margins were very weak. And Ultimately, what we then learned was we can actually, you know, these markets are so large. I mean, there's millions and millions of apartments every year being sold in China. All of this data is available. By putting this data, you know, into a system and analyzing, you know, what aspects of delivery standards or size are people actually willing to pay for or can you sell faster? So now when we underwrite markets or if we design products, it's really based on on data. We always say if there's a, if there's a window in our bathroom, it's not because an architect told us that it's great to have a window in the bathroom, but it's because it shows through data that it sells faster at a higher sales price. And and that's the beauty with China is you have this only in China where you have this in a vast amount of data available to, to them drive your uh, decision making. I know technology has changed over the years, but take us through a little bit about the values that you're driving to deliver affordability, sustainability, and how are you actually bringing it to life and what you deliver to customers? Yeah. So, I mean, real estate development and urbanization is obviously one of the largest polluting sectors in the world and building tens of thousands of apartments is a huge responsibility. And, and also coming from Sweden, you know, it's very natural to think about the air you breathe and, and the water you drink. And, and it's, it's always been a very, very important part of our product. And initially, customers weren't necessarily prepared to pay for. Sort of, we were very data driven. We weren't, data, you know, we didn't analyze through data if people wanted green or not. We basically decided that people should want green because long term, that's where we're going to end up. So I think that's always been, you know, green building standards has, has always been there and it's becoming with customers uh, much more relevant now uh, as time goes on. Even though you're data oriented from the beginning, your core value is to be green. Right. So there was no data points on that. And then we've had a major complication happen, right, with the COVID-19 pandemic in the last year. You know, what are you seeing shifts in customer tastes or in in markets and what's changing for you from your perspective? I think it's very interesting. It's it's clearly been a big change. Uh, I mean, not only in in China, but but through, I mean, all over the world, people are spending much more time in their in their home, thinking much more about the interior and the size and, you know, where their home is. So in China specifically, we've seen people upgrading their housing. We've seen people, which is, of course, a big, a big market. And where, whilst doing that, we see they're also much more interested in, you know, the green dimensions, which they were before. COVID is a bacterial thing. So people want to understand, you know, the air quality, water quality, energy, where does the energy come from? All of these things. We saw in, in a particular project, which was the best selling project, actually, in, in quite a large city in China, actually after the COVID outbreak. So, so a, clear, a clear change towards that uh, direction. I want to shift gears to a hotel concept you started called Stay. You know, take us through what were the design decisions from a you know economic viability perspective or a desire, customer desirability perspective. Tell us more about it, and let's let's remember to talk a little bit about what you're trying to do with Stay from a, a community and, and social perspective. Yeah, so so I mean, White Peak is headquartered in Beijing. All of our projects are in tier two cities in, in northeast China, and we've always wanted to enter the tier one markets and and doing that through our typical business acquiring a land use right and then building apartments you know was not the possibility in the tier one markets at the same time you know you can look globally at you know what's happening in these big 
uh, mega cities all all over the world with in the, you know inequality, the inaffordability, and the inefficiency of real estate. I mean, if you look at real estate apartments or offices in general, I mean they haven't really had any innovation in the last hundred years. So we sort of took a clean piece of paper and, and said, okay, if we wanted to make it possible for this next generation and current young generation of people to be able to live in urban cities, you know, what would one need to do? So. So we basically came up with a few things. One, obviously, spatial design. You know, everybody doesn't need a kitchen because they're not cooking. Uh, they're ordering on their phones and, and maybe heating it so they need a microwave. But when they actually cook, they want to do that in a social context. Uh, so you have shared spaces for this. So sort of part of the space is, is personal and very small and part is shared, which means you can you know get more apartments into a building. And that's one efficiency. And the second one that was maybe more efficient was that spaces need to be used all the time. And we came up with this idea that our rooms have a long-stay tenant who lives there, signs a long-term contract. When that tenant travels, he basically goes on to his or her phone and says, I'm going to be away Friday to Sunday, loses digital access, and that basically becomes sold as a hotel room and executed as a hotel room. And, and then we give this hotel guest the opportunity to live in this community because stay is basically a community of people that live together flourish together and we sell the ability as a hotel room somebody to come and live in that community in the middle of the city and get access much faster to the city so through that innovation we also created affordability because the long stay guest doesn't pay for that day that he's not in the room and we always have a higher income because we're selling as a hotel room again creating uh, affordability so more than 100 percent utilization sort of a sharing economy in in residential and we've opened three of these in beijing and what's Incredibly interesting is the value of the community here, that we've really created three very strong communities that are very happy to live in this with this group of people as opposed to what they used to do is renting an apartment where they never spent any time and had a, a fridge with nothing in it and you know quite a miserable life, which I think a lot of young people are feeling in, <laughs> in the urban environment today. So. It's so true. I don't. I don't even know. I, I've I've been living in the same apartment for three plus years. I haven't met my neighbor. Right. Which is a very typical thing, you know. It's very typical. Very typical. And I think with COVID-19, uh, perhaps people are a bit more open to some of the, the social interaction. And, you know, what you described earlier about being data-driven versus relying on intuition. What what were some of the early data points that you had or that you felt like you were getting traction on, on some of this social element? And maybe take us through some of the specific features if I'm a, if I'm a guest at, at Stay. Sure. So we're obviously this is sort of an R and D center for our traditional business, even though it's by at least you know it's very much a, its own business. So we're trying to d design sort of sustainable behavior. So we're using all of the latest IoT and water energy meters, and we're presenting in an app. So State has its own app. Uh, you download it, and there you can see your energy, you know, your consumption footprint, and we visualize that in you know, sort of a gamified model where you compete against your neighbor or other buildings. And this presentation of data really has shown uh, that that we drive sustainable behavior in the community, um, which of course you know is great because we it's great for the green strategy that we have, uh, but it's also something that you know brings people together. Digital also is a great way of building, you know, community. Uh, and so, so the app also has, you know, sort of a Facebook type function where you introduce yourself to the community or where you can t chat with each other. So that's also proven to be very successful in building this true, true community feeling that everybody knows is so strong when you have it, but it's actually quite difficult to, to implement. And, and how does that work? How do you create those interactions? Yeah, so you have, I mean, you have a function, which is everybody who wants to, they present their profile, and then they can, you know, you can match it against yourself. 
Uh, and then there's also a community manager, somebody who works there, who uh, continuously arranges different events that both people who live there and also hotel guests. So it's like an urban selection of um, you know communities that you can and, and events that you can participate in. Take us through some of the learnings from today, the, the things you're learning about customers and design and technology. Yeah. So, uh, so what's interesting is the untapped uh, value of a building with residents. And let's say we build a community with 5,000 apartments. So there are 10,000 people living there who don't communicate. They don't share. They don't, you know, they don't open the door when they hear somebody else walking up uh, the building. I mean, we know all how that is. And then you look at stay where the sum of these people living there is just creates a fantastic uh, uh, community and sense of belonging, trust, sharing. You know, that would be very natural for, you know, a piano, a pianist living there to help somebody uh, learn to play the piano, which of course would be great in, in this more, or more traditional context where if people actually shared and were open with each other, there would be a lot of untapped, not only economical value, but but just relationship and community value. So, you know, we're, we're I think, uh, only at the start of next wave of sort of urban development where green is, you know, very important, but we have these social, you know, dimension of, of urban development that clearly is a very untapped potential and and uh, that's something we're focusing a lot on thinking about now is you know what parts of what we're learning about these communities in stake and we actually also bring to our traditional business because digital in china which is obviously everybody knows um, who's listening is you know it's so advanced and it's so natural for people and people are so willing to try they're not, you know, only skeptical. They're willing to try. And if it's not good, you know, they'll throw you out with a bathwater, but at least they'll try. Um, it's a very natural place to, to start implementing some of these thinking. There's plenty of research out there that shows that even though, you know, we've made so many advances in, in technology, people, especially with COVID-19, are feeling more lonely or isolated than, than ever, right? So it seems maybe you're a little bit ahead of the game. If, if you can take some of the the seeds of what you've learned and how to build community and social interactions from stay, it, it would it would seem because it's a, a more of a technical or a digital platform that you can expand it. You've described it as 50% of the org is is technical. Take us through a little bit about what you had to do to to get to that number and are you applying that to, to the core business? We're operating three stays, you know, that are doing very well and that uh, have great communities. And then, then at the same time, we're sort of identifying various business processes. It could be anything from, you know, how to manage contracts or how to collect payment from people, how to make these processes more efficient. Then we're basically digitizing them there here in the headquarter. So the headquarter is really only digitizing continuously what we're learning through our, uh, you know, interaction with our, our customers in our in our properties uh, and we decided early on actually to start with a much more sort of human approach to the business and not think so much technology and not have too many technical people either because there's always a risk you know to be, being technology run you know the, you're, you're sometimes caught off by the irrational behavior of of your users so we're very focused on sort of developing process and developing the technical platform af, you know as a function of learn the, what we learn from operating these communities and what we learn from our customers. So it's sort of So you've invested in design process around how to understand and observe customers. Do they have a research backlog? You know, are they feeding that backlog into a product backlog that your technology team is is using to continuously upgrade the 
the platform in the in the app. The key is sort of to to take out the inefficiencies first about the whole design and, and sort of retrofit and construction and part of the process. And, and, you know, standardizing is, of course, a great part of that. Doing prefabrication is a, is a key part of that. Uh, so the design team, as opposed to this, you know, boutique hotel spending lots of time thinking about every little color is different in every single room. You know, we, we notice from our customers, it's not really, that's not, the real value i mean of course it needs to be nice and, and inspiring but it's it's not you know it's not a design a physical design led product that people are looking for people are actually you know what they want is to be in a community uh, that's the most important thing so everything outside of that we just need to do as efficiently as possible so our design today is based around efficiencies so speed cost uh, standardization supply chain and the same thing with technical is really very much focused on taking out inefficiencies in any one of our business processes so we can operate with a very small staff count we've also been able to take out a lot of inefficiencies in that where our staff to to guest ratio is you know nothing compared to to a hotel and our hotel gm is 25 digitally savvy high energy girl or boy as opposed to this you know 50-year-old um, hotel director has an office suite and, uh, you know, uh, nine people to open doors for him. We don't, we don't believe in that kind of culture. So we want to create the new, very light and fresh uh, way of giving the opportunity for somebody young to actually run a business. So you've created a brand with Stay. You've found ways to take out inefficiencies in the process, created a platform around creating community. What, what's, what's in the roadmap to, to scale it? Are you looking at partnerships or just to continue to to grow organically no so i mean we we are certainly going to have partnerships i mean we want to have a stay in every every city in the world at some point because the more cities we're in you know the the better the community the more exciting i mean young people you know outside of living in the middle of the city what do they want to do they want to you know they love food they want to travel and, and meet new people in new places so what a better way to live in a place where you can just give up your room and then not pay for it and then go to Bangkok or to London or to, you know, wherever you, you want to go and stay in a stay. You know, you only pay for one room wherever you are in the world. So there's this vision that we could also cater to that. And so the only way to do that, obviously, is to work through partnerships. So, so we're discussing with different, I mean, we're basically a digital product and a brand and a very efficient way to operate. So we're going to have an asset light, you know, global expansion together with partners. You described some of these sustainability metrics for, for White Peak in general. We'd love to hear a little bit more. What, what are these sustainability metrics? You're hitting on so many key topics right now on affordability, urban development, community, and connecting people socially, and also sustainability. I just can imagine what your, your dashboard looks like. In all aspects of our business, have a really distinct focus on the whole ESG side. It's actually interesting. We're just doing our, our KPIs this year, and we're waiting now over 20% of our bonus weighting is non-financial and non-sort of, um, I mean, it's basically ESG-related targets. And I hope that's going to continue to increase because it's, it's based on the idea that your footprint in other things and financially are going to be at least as important as your financial KPIs going forward. And that's why uh, we put such such energy on that. So we're spending a lot of time thinking through how to, you know, how do you get your organization to be equally passionate and understanding that this really is not just you know something greenwashing where you want to tell your investors that you're green but it's actually I, I don't think one will be able to borrow money in a few years unless you can prove that you're on track to live up to carbon neutral uh, targets 
I, I don't think anybody will want to own shares in your company in the future unless you know you're sustainable and you take care of the workers on your work sites. So I don't think it's a question of of um, you know doing it a little bit or not. I think it's a very simple. You know, I don't think companies aren't putting all of their focus on these topics. They won't exist in the future. So that's the kind of uh, ambition level uh, that we have, and, and cascading that into your into your team in a place like China, obviously also where where green and sustainability things are, are newer than obviously than in, in Sweden is something that takes a lot of time and a lot of focus and keeps you up at night. Hey, Jasper. So, you know, I want to thank you for joining the show, taking some time out. This The topics we discussed today around sustainability, community building especially, are so are so relevant right now. We could probably dedicate a show just as a follow-up on how you're doing community building within Stay and, and beyond. I think you're right uh, at the heart of some some key topics right now. would would love to do a, a follow-up uh, in the near future. We'll be super excited to do that. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jasper. Now comes a segment where we invite founders and experts from McKinsey to provide more context and to draw practical insights. I'm joined by Thomas Laboka from Leap by McKinsey. Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Wonderful to be back, Andrew. You know, Jasper opens up with a point around how he entered China without a partnership, which I thought was counterintuitive. You'd, you'd figure that, you know, coming from outside that market, you'd need strong local ties. But then he gives a reason as to why he did it. And when it comes to understanding the local market, what were your thoughts on that from a startup perspective? I, I love it. I really saw the strong conviction and strong belief that understanding the customers and being data-driven, really hands-on on the market market is, is key for, for the business. And as you say, it's counterintuitive. Oftentimes, we see startups uh, and, and definitely large enterprises scaling through partnerships. They didn't. They choose to roll up the sleeves and fail over and over again, but they came out strong. You know, They moved from one city to another. The moment they didn't work, they went to another where it, where it did. And based on data, they get the, the right understanding of the, of the pain points of the customer journeys and ultimately came out strong. And I, I thought that was, that was really outstanding. Yeah. I mean, the, the conviction to understand the customer right they by by understanding the neighborhood understanding the the local community especially in real estate uh, could see how that was uh, a way for them to kind of live their values you know when when he got into talking about how they launched stay you know he described stay uh, even though it's a different brand a different concept from their their traditional product he he looked at stay as an R&D factory and uh, I thought that was interesting because that's that's a real commitment uh, as compared to a lot of the sort of MVPs that you see out there where and pilots where, where kind of has a, a moment in time, but not much funding. And they seem to be really committing on stay as R&D. What were your thoughts on that? He launched Stay with a, a clear understanding of customers, very hardcore on the data, very, very deep on, on what is it that the customers really want, you know, what is the efficiency and the community building. And as he starts building it, he starts uh, building new assets that he can then transfer, right? Uh, so, so it went from, this is a, a new business that I want to um, uh, kind of explore and, and uh, extract value from to this is going to be a new pillar for, for my global expansion. And as I do so, and as I learn, learn about the behavior of customers and and you know how they how they preferred to live, you know whether it was community or gamification of the green uh, agenda, he starts uh, plugging it back into the system into the mother company. So you have the two prone strategy: new assets and at the same time new R and D. I thought it was great. 
Yeah, and 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 based on the R and D, you know, they're learning a lot, I guess, on the the future of urban development. You know, customer interest in in sustainability and and being green. And what's emerging now is sort of a what he gets to the social dimension of urban development. And I thought that was uh, uh, going to be increasingly a more important topic around how to not just create real estate, but to create communities and, and social interactions. And I think that's what they're sort of proving with Stay. I'd be curious to see how they start linking those learnings to their you know, apartment and other you know, residential products. I think you're spot on. And this is exactly where the R&D plugs into the mother organization, right? And it's, it's the deep understanding of the behavior that then shapes the whole development of the properties. Uh, hey, if I want to cook, I want to cook socially. I don't want to cook alone. I am living in this building. I want to get to know uh, the, the people around. Well, thanks, Thomas. As always, love your insights. Until next time. Thank you, Andrew. Till next time. You have been listening to The Venture with me, Andrew Roth. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode next month. Thank you.